all learn by playing as children. Kindness and resiliency are learned skills that need encouragement. How we practice listening to one another, noticing patterns, and seeing how things behave. How to be inclusive in community, collaborate, and respond productively. How about just the simple act of letting someone know they matter? <laughs> Learning from our mistakes and using the feedback of others allows us to do better the next time. Giving children the time and the space to tinker with this knowledge will keep them in good standing for the rest of their lives. Kids exposed to these critical environments are much more likely to be happy adults. All of this starts and lives quite happily in play. Simple, often muddy, certainly gritty, hopefully sticky, play. It's universal for human development. For two women, one a graphic artist and the other an MBA and writer of case studies for business schools, their ideas came from thinking outside the box when it comes to can-do kids. It's called Moms on a Mission, and our story starts here. I'm Brooke Bechtold, and this is The Humble Brag. Outside of school, kids have so many hours on screens or digital devices that they aren't playing like they used to like they need to. It's eroding their ability to engage with the world, to develop social and emotional awareness on some pretty deep levels, and how to use those critical skills. Nicole Jacob knows a thing or two about the power and the importance of play. She's the founder of a unique toy company called Renegade Made. Her craft and activity kits teach kids altruism in a fun and cheeky way. Inspired by a love of art and a hate of participation trophies, Nicole set out to make a product that teaches young citizens of the world that making people happy is not only the right thing to do, it's also ridiculously fun. Kindness is the point. Everyone who plays wins. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and then how Renegade Made was born? It was born because of a need for to impart to kids to be kind. And I'm a mom and you know, I was home raising these little savages and like what am I going to do to, you know, make sure that they're good little people? My mind was always spinning in images and concepts and I I knew that if I did something like this that it would have to feel irreverent and slightly naughty for kids to buy into it because it's you know if you buy something for a child and say this is going to make you a great person you know they will go running and screaming (laughs) by being yourself by being that happy naughty person exactly you can have an impact on somebody else i used to have a, a book of inventions or ideas and um and so I had written this down, and I kept th- like I, I kept thinking of more and more applications for it, and like why it was justified. I didn't know anything about the toy business; it wasn't my background. 
There's not a lot on the market for boys. When I did my research, um, and, uh, you know, I have two boys, and when they were young, you'd go in the craft aisle, and maybe the only thing that they would have is, like, a paracord bracelet kit or something like that. And then the girls were all about spa and glitter, which is fine. I mean, I love I love me some glitter. Right. But, <laughs> but I wanted something that was unisex. I mean, that was a, a huge goal for me because there, it was missing in yeah. the market. Renegade-made kit themes are different, but their missions are all the same, to teach kindness and philanthropy. From mimicking a lemonade stand, one kit is about selling removable tattoos in exchange for a donation to a favorite charity. Another centers on helping shelter animals find their forever homes quicker with a homemade collar. And others encourage kids to hush-hush, do something covertly silly to bring a smile or a laugh to someone else's day. I asked her to walk us through a couple of them, and she started with the tattoo lounge. It has everything you need. It has like a little tablecloth and 126 tattoos and an advertising poster and, and a little money collection box they build and, and a little megaphone. And they set up a tattoo lounge, and they sell and apply temporary tattoos. Then they collect money for their favorite charity. And it's all done with a great sense of humor and And then we've got random acts of flowers. And the kids make 12 tissue paper flowers with little wire stems. And they make the vase. And I tell them to go hang the vase on like a porta potty or a chain link fence or someplace that needs a little glamming up. (laughs) And when somebody takes one of the flowers, they see a little leaf tag on each flower that says, I made this for you. Do something nice for someone today. And then um, I just came out with one called Wag Swag, where kids, we've two adjustable dog collars and it goes from small dogs to big dogs and it's out of these pleather strips and we give them a recipe to make dog biscuits as well and we tell them make one for your dog and make one for a shelter dog and you know like because you know how like shelter dogs when they dress them up they they get adopted a lot faster when they dress them up in like a cute little scarf or a tie or something like that so I wanted to show them that it can be between a small gesture or a grand gesture, but they can truly do something that could make somebody happy. And there's an enormous sense of pride in that, of course. The the reward is that you feel good because you made somebody happy, that it's not about the bragging statuses of, of doing this. It's about making other people happy. Making other people happy and being philanthropic is very much a part of Nicole's own hum and her business model. In fact, a percentage of the sales of her kits are donated to her favorite charities, like the Best Friends Animal Society, who provides nationwide outreach to shelters and rescue groups to end pet homelessness. And Camp Kesem, an organization that supports children who are impacted by a parent's cancer. Studies show that children are born with the capacity for empathy, but it needs to be nurtured. According to a 2018 report in the Harvard Graduate School of Education, learning empathy is in certain respects like learning a language. It requires practice and guidance, and Nicole's kits do just that. Empathy is at the heart of what it means to be human. It's a foundation for acting ethically, for good relationships of all kinds, including loving well, and for professional success. 
Children learn empathy both from watching us and from experiencing our empathy for them. Asking kids to think outside the box and supporting them through that journey and process is key. And what a better way than with a good book. That brings us to Loie Sickle, our second Mom on a Mission. Loie is a storyteller. She's a parent and a coach and an entrepreneur. And she knows a thing or two about how businesses start, how they work, how they succeed, and all of their lessons learned. She's the author of the nonfiction series, From an Idea, which takes young readers into the world of entrepreneurship. For years, she wrote case studies for business school courses. Today, she loves to take young readers into the true adventures of how some of their favorite or most iconically recognized brands came to be. Where was Mickey Mouse born? Are these the original Legos? Why is Nike's logo a swoosh? Wait! Google hasn't been around forever? Remember, the Internet's been around longer than our children have been alive, even those in college. Well, with that quick trip down reality lane, how old do you suddenly feel? Kids ask some good questions about the world around them, and they tend to puzzle and design intuitively. Loie is helping them find some solid, relatable examples and inspiration in such a way that kids are coming up with their own good ideas and running with them. And that's the point. I asked what inspired her to write these books, and she said it began while she was working at Dartmouth College as a business school case writer. The case writing really was the story of businesses. So it is the story of a situation at a certain company. And, you know, the class reads this long case study with some analytical questions and they analyze, they have a great conversation in the classroom. You know, what would you do? What did they do right? What did they do wrong? And that's how you learn by real world examples. And I was like, someone should write books for kids about these companies. This is, these are such great stories. Um, it, I, I sat on it for a few years, and then when my son was in second grade, they did this. This was my aha moment. They did this classroom project at um, his elementary school where they turned his entire classroom into a town. And kids paired up, and they had to create a business. And so there were kids who had a movie theater and a bank and a coffee shop. And a, I think my son ran the airline with a friend. And they had to create a logo and a name and a business plan and a and so we came to visit their town. I think they called it Goofball Town. And they were running a, like a real, a real town with all these businesses. And all of a sudden, I was like, this is a really good idea I have. So I, and, and I, I went to the bookstore, the local bookstore, and I met with the owner. And I said, um, are there any books out there like this that teach kids about entrepreneurship and business? And she looked at me, and she said, no, but you should go home and write it. Her book series takes us through how the founders of each company, again, Disney, Google, Nike, and Lego, started with an idea or a concept. These books creatively weave the history, the brand, the successes, as well as the failures, and these entrepreneurs into a story-like narrative that kids can follow. Along with illustrations, they include explanations of business terms like marketing, profit margin, and merchandise. My favorite one is Lego, for sure. Um, 
I had written case studies on Google, Nike, and Disney, so I was pretty familiar with their story. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was awesome turning it from an MBA level to you know a ten year old level. Yeah, um, that was actually probably the biggest challenge was my language and getting it storytelling yet informative. I don't think a lot of people know the Lego story and. This guy, Olay Kirk Christensen, I know I mentioned him before, but he came from nothing. He was one of 10 children, grew up in Denmark, very poor family. Um, he was a car- he became a carpenter um, at a young age. At a very young age. At a young age. Yeah. And he is such a hardworking, good person. Yeah. I mean, he is always thinking about his children, his customers, his employees, you know, I got to keep this going. He has his factory burned down three times. You know, his wife dies. He has no money at times. And he's always looking for that feedback, like the wooden toy feedback. Your wooden toys are amazing, but they get dirty and they're hard to clean and they absorb germs. And so Olay Kirk Christensen started thinking, well, maybe there's another material I could make toys out of. And aha, he came across a plastic molding machine, and then it led to the bricks. And really, the crazy thing is, is he never really saw his company become the great, huge Lego company that we all know. It, I think it's the most inspirational story. I mean, one of the most inspirational stories out there, just of someone of resilience and, and faith and... Kindness. Kindness. So while I understood how Lowy got started and that the youth literary world was impressed... I wanted to understand why. Renegade Maid's mission is obvious, teaching kids kindness and generosity through doing for others with no reward than the gratification of making the day brighter for someone else. But why were these books so important to write? When I first started writing the books, my goal was more teach kids about business. But what I've learned is the message isn't really that. That's sort of the secondary message. It's really about inspiring kids to think about what it is that they're passionate about. Because I think we do a good job of telling kids that their ideas matter. and But it's an idea really isn't anything until you turn it into something. And that's the power of entrepreneurship. You know, you've got to have an idea that solves a problem. You've got to have passion around your idea. And you got to be not only okay with failing, failure or making mistakes, you actually want it. You have to embrace it. Mistakes help all of us understand that reward is reliant on risk. Whether it's participating in organized activities, making new friends, or exploring passions on their own, kids need to make mistakes in order to learn how to do something differently. It's the motivation to challenge themselves to test new approaches. Loie sees the value in that and has channeled her entrepreneurial spirit of her book series into a fun kids competition called Idea Tank. Think Shark Tank for kids. It's an opportunity to help children see the good side of getting things wrong and right and turn their ideas into a real business. Can you walk us through Idea Tank? What is it and how does it work? So Idea Tank is just for kids. That's the first thing everyone needs to know. So I tell my high schoolers, you know, back off. This is for kids 8 to 13, and this is their event to try out being an entrepreneur. So that's everything from coming up with an idea that solves a problem, um, either working alone or working with a friend, a sibling, and putting together a pitch, putting together an idea, 
a full presentation. It doesn't have to be, you know, we're trying not to scare anyone, but they each get five minutes to pitch their idea. And after that five minutes, their time is up and they can relax. They can listen to the other kids pitch. And the judges come together and they talk with me and they announce their finalists. And um, it really felt like Silicon Valley in the Midwest. I mean, it was... It was amazing. What do you see as the most valuable takeaway for kids who participate in this event? Because there's just so much having to do with sparking kids to collaborate, to be, you know, innovative and all that stuff. Is there anything that you want to add to that? Yeah, you know, um, I think it's just letting kids know that we believe in them. We recognize that, you know, you're the future and you're really important. Um, it, maybe it's just building confidence in them um, and letting them know that part of just being successful is giving things, giving it a, a try and giving it a shot and taking a risk. Then I had my aha moment. Children all over the world know how to play. And that's a good thing because we know that it's essential for human development. These craft kits and children's books get kids to play, create, and wonder while doing something valuable together. It's all about learning how to collaborate for a cause now because it matters in a big way later. Our economy banks on it. Let me explain. Four out of five CEOs say that right now, skill gaps in creativity and problem solving make hiring difficult with a workforce that's short, if not void, of uniquely human skills such as empathy, social intelligence, decision-making, relationship skills, communication, and judgment. Whether we blame this on our schools, parents, or the increasing use of electronic devices, business experts agree that if we don't address the need for more play, the future workforce will be significantly compromised. According to a report in the Los Angeles Times, children learn best from real-world experiences and interactions, and they need to explore the world using their senses. Their developmental success depends on it. Workplace culture today is built around teams and collaboration for good reason. Companies who value play in their environments are not only more interesting to work with, financially, they run circles around those who don't. Millions of self-help books, executive coaches, and professional development courses tell the tale of how important social and emotional wellness are to the vitality of any organization. And who doesn't learn best by doing? Kindness, collaboration, humor, creativity, risk-taking, empathy, all these non-technical skills employers are looking for genuinely come from play. There's a term in education called social-emotional learning, and it speaks directly to what we've been exploring, educating the whole child. School is no longer just about the three R's. It's also a pivotal place to allow kids to make connections to each other and learn together. To understand this better, I reached out to Dr. Tom Flemma, educator and headmaster at North Shore Country Day School, a K-12 school just outside of Chicago, for his take. Can you tell us a little bit about social-emotional learning and why it matters not only in but outside of the classroom as well? The way that I think about social-emotional learning is 
it revolves around two things. It revolves around your knowledge of self and your knowledge of self and how you relate to those around you. Okay. So for students, those are two really important things. And it's different than just saying, you know, I am a good math student. Um, things that are involved in social emotional learning are things like, how do I grapple with a failure? Okay. How do I grapple with a setback? Right. Um, how resilient am I as a learner? They are, they are our own personal traits around how we perform and how we learn. And, you know, one of the ways to think about it is how am I as a student and how am I in engaging with the people around me? Mm -hmm. So um, I think we could make it a statement and say those students who can persist and push through setbacks are ultimately probably going to be more successful academic students. And the way that that sort of is implicated in the way that classes happen and curriculum happens is what is it that you want your kids to get out of a unit, a lesson, a task? Um, sometimes struggling is the most important thing that a kid can do. Right. Um, in order to actually grow. And that does get into this social-emotional learning piece and this resilience piece. So if we're only giving kids questions that are very basic or have a right or wrong answer, mm -hmm. if you get the right answer all the time, you're actually really not growing a lot. You knew the answer when you walked into class that day. You still know the answer when you walk out that day. You didn't really take anything out of no. it. No, you probably didn't get a whole lot. Mm -mm. But if a teacher can design a question or design a project that doesn't necessarily have a simple answer or a, um, an easily defined answer, mm -hmm. there are going to be times when all students are going to struggle in different ways. They're right. going to have to clarify their thinking or they're going to have to uh, iterate. They're going to have to do multiple drafts. If they are literally building something with their hands and it falls apart, they're going to have to analyze why it fell apart. What they're doing is they're actually learning something in a more deep way, but they're also realizing that, okay, my tower collapsed and I'm okay. Yeah. And that process, when you ask about what really matters when you leave school, because the real world is not school, mm -mm. right? But if you're taking away some of these skills around how do you deal with complexity, mm -hmm. how do you deal with adversity, those are the skills that are most transferable right. probably outside of a school setting to a work setting, to a home setting, to a life setting. And not just in a, in, when you're talking about tasks, school tasks, but also getting back to social-emotional learning, mm -hmm. the same kind of a thing. You want the exact same kinds of questions in terms of how do you, how, how are you going to participate in community? Am right. I right? Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, if you get away from these kind of performance skills that we're talking about, there's also kind of the character skills and the social, even, even ethical and moral skills mm -hmm. sometimes that are really fundamental to how you think about community. Um, and that is how, for instance, do you collaborate? How do you work with other people, right? So I very much think and sort of am trying to work here at North Shore around these ideas of 
what does it mean to leave here with skills that are transferable? One of the most important ones is being able to play well in the sandbox with other people. And you can teach those things consciously. And more and more schools today are taking time to really intentionally build curricula into their school programs to talk about and teach the skills of empathy, right? right? Kindness, um, flexibility and adaptability, those things that will shape the way that you engage with the other humans around you, to your point, mm -hmm. and not just the tasks that you have to do. Right, yeah. right, exactly. You actually get a better outcome if you can play better with others than if you can't. Right. Yes. Um, which is why more and more schools are doing collaborative projects. Projects allow you to wrap both of these kind of elements of social-emotional learning, mm -hmm. both the performative ones mm -hmm. and the human interactive ones, into a curriculum that um, oh. sort of weaves it all together. Do you and, think yeah. that um, the collaboration... Getting kids to be more comfortable in that collaborative setting sets them up to be lifelong learners. I think it is one of the absolutely fundamental skills that kids will need to know entering the current workforce and world, okay. period. They're going to have to work across continents and cultures, mm -hmm. and they're going to have to work together. So if we're not teaching kids how to collaborate and forcing them to collaborate all along in their schooling, we're missing the boat. What do kids take away by learning from and with each other? Well, I think the first thing that they learn is sort of a, um, they learn that everybody has a different approach, a different way of thinking and processing, mm -hmm. and that everybody's bringing different strengths to a team. Mm -hmm. They have to work together. So if they start to learn and respect the fact that everybody has a contribution that they can make to move the ball forward, that's one of the most important things that they learn. And employing kindness in that whole in that whole journey. Yeah, and it's understanding, right? And so it's the idea that you know, before I can learn what somebody else has to offer to a task or a collaborative effort, I have to probably stop and try to understand who they are. Mm -hmm. um, I have to assess sort of what they can bring to bear on the question at hand, but I'm probably going to get to know them, get to understand them a little bit better. And there's a um, level of trust also that's established in situations like that. And vulnerability as yeah. well. And increasingly, I think people are starting to understand in in the information age. So, so many things are going to be complaced by or replaced by artificial intelligence, robots, software, but the human skills and understanding and empathy, those are going to be the last things that are ever going to be replaced. Yeah. So those will become even more prized. There's a huge literature on resiliency now, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, how do you approach a situation that isn't a straightforward, easy, kind of easy to replicate solution? It means that when you hit a wall, you don't have the mindset that is, Ugh, I hit a wall, 
I guess I failed. Mm-hmm. Your mindset is, okay, I hit a wall. Where's the door? Dr. Flema's agreement that teaching resiliency and the value of collaboration confirmed Loewe's professional and parental instincts when she designed her books and Idea Tank. But kids, like adults, working together isn't always easy. It requires understanding self and others as well. That's Nicole's sweet spot. So I asked him his thoughts on how, or if, schools incorporate empathy and kindness into the social-emotional model. You know, empathy is not the same as kindness. Mm-mm. You can be kind without being empathetic at all. Right. It, it can be muscle memory to be kind. Empathy is based on stepping outside of oneself mm-hmm. to understand somebody else. Right. To be present for them, to try to figure out who they are, um, what they are living with, dealing with, how they see the world. Can you, can you think of any skill that we are in more dire need of in the world right now than mm-hmm. someone just to say, I need to understand your perspective a little bit better because it'll help me understand my own. Right. And it'll probably help me understand um, those things that we have in common and those things that we can perhaps work towards together. Right. Right. So, I mean, empathy is like the killer app right now in terms of how to improve, you know, a classroom, a family, a school, a community, a right. nation, how we can build these skills and build community and practice empathy and kindness. That's our task. Bridging humor with dreaming and exploring big ideas, taking risks, building trust, experimenting, valuing, and encouraging play, making a difference in their own lives and the lives of others with kindness. It's being taught in school, but taken outside the classroom with our moms on a mission. Well, and I truly wanted to show that kids have the power to make people happy. I think, you know, when when you're a kid, you feel like nobody listens to you. You feel like you can't get anything done kind of on your own, which is why kids throw tantrums and why they get upset because, you know, there's it's a frustrating time. I have certainly been through some dark periods in my life like everybody, and I think once you start flexing this tiny muscle, you know, like you realize that you feel good when you've done something for someone else. And it doesn't even have to be about how happy you make them. I, I mean, it's it's that you can take that power in a powerless world sometimes where we feel like we don't have control over what's happening around us and say, I can do something little to make somebody's life better, and that makes my life better. Humble Bragg is created and produced in cooperation with Hum Productions. Our web address is humble, H-U-M-M-B-L-E, Bragg, B-R-A-G-G dot com. Financial support for the show is generously provided by JLB Images and listeners like you. Thank you to Nicole Jacob, Loie Sickle, and Dr. Tom Flemma for being our guests. 
we have links to Renegade Made, From an Idea to book series, the Idea Tank information and registration, and Dr. Flemma's bio in the show notes on our website, and we highly recommend that you check them out. Our star team. Sound engineering by Matt Wheeler. Christine Murdoch, senior producer and editor. C.J. D'Amico, associate producer and researcher. Jack Bechtold, programming intern. Norman Bauer and Lee Bechtold for digital artwork and web design. Patricia Brzezowski for communications. Mike Leonard for post-production assistance and mentoring. And Andrew Sachs for original music. Subscribe and listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Radio Public, and SoundCloud. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it. We'd also love to hear from you, so send us an email or find us on social media. Pitch us ideas about people who you think would be great to have on our show. Maybe it's even you. We'll be back soon with another extraordinary program. Everyone has a story. Share. I'm Brooke Bechtold. Thanks for listening.